You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this first lesson of the prophecy module, titled True Prophecy, Philip Edwards will define the gift of prophecy and distinguish the true from the false. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for future modules and also see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Let's just pray then before uh, we start this evening. Heavenly Father, we just thank you because you love it when we gather together to study your word and to understand uh, more about you and to just deepen our relationship with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here to to teach each one of us uh, individually and personally to speak into our hearts so we understand what's being said and we can move on into the next phase of what you want for us. Father, I pray that you'll bless the ears that listen, and uh, Lord, I pray for your anointing that I might teach with clarity and freedom in your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask tonight about what is prophecy, answer that question first of all, and then after we're going to look at true and false prophecy and what the Bible says about that. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a gift from God. And therefore, we need to always be willing and anxious to receive whatever God has got for us. There are listings in the New Testament of the different gifts that he has given to the church. Uh, We find them in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 14, and in Ephesians 4. Some teachers lump them all together and give people tests on them all, but really scripture, it doesn't doesn't lump them together. They're very separate gifts, and they're dealt with in a, a very separate way. Interestingly, though, this gift of prophecy is the only gift that appears in all the three different listings of groups of gifts that we receive from the Lord. So it's significant, it's important, it's different in each case, and we need to separate what those differences are. I want to first direct you to a verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 4 to 6. It, what it does, it separates the, the, the giftings uh, out for us, and it separates who, who sent the gifts and the purpose of the gifts. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6, it says, it says, there are different gifts or kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there are gifts that the Holy Spirit give. They're different, and they come specifically from the Holy Spirit. Then that same passage of Scripture goes on to say, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So first it was the Holy Spirit and the gifts, Now it's the Lord and the kinds of service. So hold these thoughts in your head. And it says, there are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. So we see the Father God, he also gives out gifts, but he calls them workings. So we have the Holy Spirit gives gifts. We have the Lord himself gives gifts. 
And the Father gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit, they're called gifts. When they come from Jesus, they're called services. And when they come from God, they're called works. So you go, oh, please go on, explain this a little bit more clearly to us. The gifts that the Father then gives us, we find these in uh, the passage of Romans 12. They, they are the gifts that God gives every person that he can function in this world. It says there in there, there are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. So all of us, when we come into this world as a child of God, not a saved child of God, but a child of God in that general term, we have gifts within us. Uh, if we didn't, we might all choose to do the same thing. That would be really awkward, wouldn't it? If we all wanted to be doctors, or we all wanted to be bricklayers, or we all wanted to be carpenters, that would be disastrous. And so what God has done, he has placed giftings within us. And they seem to be natural, they seem to flow out of who we are. And when we look back on our lives, we thought, well, I couldn't really have done anything else. So you could say, well, what gift did God give me? The lists are there for us. He says there's, there's seven that he lists out in Romans 12. He talks about prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to the needs, leadership and mercy. So whatever you've found yourself doing in life, they usually come under one of these groupings. I know clearly what mine is. Uh, it, uh, it, it was, well, mm. see, it's not always so clear because sometimes we find ourselves with varying giftings. But I could say of those seven, teaching is my gift. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, I always wanted to teach. Even when I was at school, I wanted to be a teacher. Now, lots of children want to be teachers because that's the only image they see in front of them of somebody working as a teacher, and they say, oh, I like to be a teacher. Uh, but then when I left school and I wasn't a teacher, I trained to be an engineer, I wanted to go into teaching, and so I did. And so in my life, I taught, and then when I found myself in, in leading a church and pastoral ministry, it was a pastor a leader, but with a strong teaching gift. And here I am, all these years later, what am I doing? I'm still here teaching. And so, and I know it's a gift that God gave me, and it's been in my life all the time, and it's something that comes relatively easy to us. So whatever we do, our gifting comes easy, and we want to do that. We will go the extra mile to do the thing that he's given us to do. And you can work out all the different occupations that people have come under these groupings. If your gift is prophesying then, what sort of job would you go into if you had the gift of prophesying? If that was the gift that God had placed within you? Well, I found that prophets love to divide black and white. They love things to be clearly spoken. They love to sort problems out. So if we think about what sort of occupation would someone with a gift of prophesying do? He would perhaps be a journalist, loves to dig and sort out what's right and wrong and to proclaim what's right and wrong. Uh, a politician, maybe local one or national. Would he be in the legal profession? Uh, an idea for detail and hammering out what was right and wrong. Would he be a policeman? 
You see, those, those sort of people would fall into that general category of those having a, a prophetic gifting, a gift of prophesying. If I t picked on another one of those seven and said mercy, what sort of jobs would a person of mercy do? Well, the obvious one would be either a doctor or a nurse. And of course, maybe as children, they felt, that's what I want to do. I want to be a nurse. And of course, it, you might think, oh, that's the last thing I'd ever want to do. Well, because you're not graced by God's giftings in that area. And so we have, all have these different giftings. And when we look back over our lives, we go, mm, I couldn't really have done anything else, could I? And that's because that's what he made in me. The second group of giftings are those that we find in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are exercised through believers by the Holy Spirit for the body of Christ. So we know there are nine charismata gifts here. And these gifts are usually in operation when the church gathers together. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, healing, faith and miracles, tongues, interpretation and prophecy. With these nine giftings, the Holy Spirit retains them, and what he does, he ministers them through people's lives. Technically, we could have all of these gifts. When I say have them, function in them. We don't actually are given gifts by the Holy Spirit in this sense. What we receive is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so he lives inside of us, and then he manifests his gifts through us. The Word of God tells us to desire earnestly the gifts. So we can desire all of them, all nine of them. We can flow and function in any one of the gifts. We could give messages in tongues. We could interpret the tongue. We could prophesy. We could do gifts of healings and miracles. It's the Holy Spirit in us working the giftings through us. The third lot of gifts are gifts that Christ have given to the church in that he's appointed people rather than gifted someone. So it says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to the church of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So these were gifts of people who he anointed and sent into the church. They might not necessarily have been born with that in their mind, they wanted to do that, but God raised up uh, apostles and prophets. He anointed them, just like he did the 12 and the 72, and sent them out to minister into the church. So I would say, um, okay, with God's giftings, he called me to be uh, a teacher. That was in me. It was always in me. And then uh, the Holy Spirit giftings, like I say, I can function in, in the ones I desire to function in. I could give a message in tongues, I could interpret the tongue, I could prophesy. If I saw someone sick, then I would perhaps operate with a gift of faith or a gift of healing or a working of a miracle. So the Holy Spirit functions through us. As far as the fivefold ministry gifts, that's what we call them, are called, then I would say God had anointed me to be a pastor teacher. Didn't always want to do that, didn't grow up thinking that's what I wanted to be. I was quite happy being a teacher, but then God moved in my life in such a way that I had this desire to pastor and to teach. Uh, so 
in some of the giftings that we have, uh, God, God the Father, distributes the gifts, those uh, basic seven gifts of what we find ourselves being able to do in life. God appoints those. I didn't choose to be a teacher. I just grew up wanting to be one. God had placed that within me. And God has placed a gift in you, whatever it was, whatever you found yourself doing, that was the gift that God had placed in you. Also, with the gifts that Jesus gives, the fivefold ministry gifts, Jesus Christ appoints them himself. I never desired to be a pastor, didn't enter my head, didn't think I ever wanted to be one, except there was some movement in my life by the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, I want to be a pastor. This is what I really want to do. But until that moment, Christ hadn't anointed me to do that. But regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like I said, they're not appointed by the Spirit. We desire to move in them. We desire to function in the gifts of the Spirit. So the onus isn't on God the Father and what he does, or Jesus and what he does. It's about what we want and what we desire. And it's very clear from the passages of Scripture that we'll study through this course, that if you desire to move in the, the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can. The reason you haven't is because either you haven't received the teaching to realize you can, or you didn't want to. And of course, if you don't want to, you won't. These signs will follow them that believe. So if you don't believe, signs won't follow you. And if you don't eagerly desire, it says that in 1 Corinthians 14, at least four times, eagerly desire, eagerly desire. So if you have come here tonight and you don't eagerly desire to prophesy, and you won't, without a shadow of doubt. Okay? But if you want to, and you eagerly desire to, you will. Now, my plan is that before we finish this course, all of you will have prophesied here, in this group, to the group. Are you up for that? Well, you're all in the right place then, if that's true. Okay. And... Uh, this is, this is this, now, obviously, oh, I, I don't know if I want to do that. That's the end of it. Okay, but you can still sit and listen and get all the understanding of the teaching uh, because somehow we think God will just come upon us and do stuff to us. Mm -mm. God doesn't work like that. God works with us. He doesn't dump stuff on us. You didn't get saved by God dumping something on you. He offered you something and you by faith received it. And I've discovered in my Christian life, whatever I've, I've received from him, I've received by faith. I've seen it available in the scriptures. I've seen it on offer, whether it was a gift or something that God wanted to give me to change me and help me. I had to, by faith, take hold of it. Every gift of God is because of his grace. Not because of your goodness or how clever you are or spiritual you are or anything. It's nothing to do with that. It is by his grace and to receive anything that comes by his grace cannot be by works. It has to be through faith in what he has said and that's all. So you just literally listen to what I'm saying, read the word of God and step out in faith. Step out. It's always scary to step out, especially the first time, but we have to be people of faith that are prepared to do that. 
if we step out in this area of prophecy, we will speak the words of God. Isn't that interesting? God wants to speak. And one of the ways he speaks to us is through the prophetic. We know in the Old Testament that the people, they couldn't receive what God was saying to them. So he functioned through the prophet. I sometimes wonder who was the most important person in Israel. Was it the prophet or the king? Because when the prophet was operating under the gift of the Spirit, the king did exactly what he was told to do. It was what God was telling him to do through the prophet. So the prophet was a real important person. Unless the king uh, didn't like what he was saying, then he would chuck him in prison or do terrible things like he did to Jeremiah and the other prophets. So he had a really important job to receive what God was saying and to communicate it to the people of God. Now, this was a theocracy. They were under the government and rule of God. We don't live in a theocracy. So we don't have prophets in our nation. We don't have them. What we have is within the local church, all of us can prophesy and speak forth the word of God. We're going to build on that concept and idea. The words that a prophet speaks out, or one who prophesies, he never prepares the word beforehand, which is fun. Uh, if you preach, preaching's hard work, okay? Because um, you get 10% of inspiration and 90% of perspiration. So you go home and you do your work to make the best delivery that you can. You think carefully the words that you use and, and all the other things. And of course, you need the anointing of God to be able to communicate with people clearly so people can understand and take it all in. But prof prophecy, you don't prepare one little bit. You just stand there and God starts feeding you either pictures or visions or words. And it might not be a lot, but then as you start to speak out what you believe God is saying or wanting to say, more words come or the picture becomes clearer and things start to flow and we start just ministering the word of God to people. The word that you give out usually strengthens or encourages those that listen. It's never condemning. Now, God can be quite firm sometimes, and even if he says, listen, if you carry on in this vein, you're heading for a high jump, but he always puts a but. But if you change your attitude or change the way you are, I will redeem, I will restore, I will love you, and, and all those things. So even if a word is strong, it's not left strong. It's left with a, a compassion, a word of encouragement, so we can go forward. So the word of God is always strengthening, and it's always encouraging. Sometimes it tells us what to do, because we need God to speak sometimes into our situation, just to give us some direction. What I've often experienced is when I hear a prophetic word from somebody and it's related to my situation, it's generally what I've been thinking about anyway. And it comes as a word of confirmation rather out of the blue, like, you know, I go to church on Sunday and somebody comes and says, I've got a word for you, you should go live in China. You go, well, that's a big shock. I wasn't expecting anything like that. Well, I would put that to one side. 
because I would expect that as I was walking with the Lord and, and reading and studying or just being, he would put in my heart this thing about China. I would start to take an interest in China. I'd start to meet lots of Chinese people and I'm thinking, God, what's going on here? You're doing something a bit weird with me here. And then, so, and then God comes with a, a confirming word often in that way. God speaks to his people in a whole variety of ways. We usually have some sort of picture or a word or we read something. So it comes to us through our senses, but if God has spoken, God doesn't speak to our senses. He speaks spirit to spirit because God is spirit. And your spirit now, you're born again as become alive to God. That's the whole thing about the born-again experience. You're alive to God, and whereas we couldn't talk to God before, we can now talk to God, and we can hear God. That's the wonderful thing about salvation. And so we, he starts to speak to us, and although we pick it up, like I say, with our senses, we see it or hear it, we hear lots of words, but there might be one small phrase or one sentence that hits it's the spirit, and we go, oh, that was different from something else. So God communicates with us spirit to spirit. Visions and dreams, they're usually given to Christians, although the Bible records that they're also given to non-Christians. You might have heard some of the very many testimonies of Muslims who have had a vision of the Lord, and through that vision, they got saved. I did a little bit of research on this, just to show you I am a good uh, researcher as well. In, in 2007, Dudley Woodbury, now don't ask me who he is, and others, they published a study that recounted interviews with 750 former Muslims who had converted to Christianity. It said that many came through a dream they simply received a vision, a dream. If we're asleep and we receive a vision, we call this a dream. If we're awake and we call this a vision, we call it a vision. So they were asleep or they had visions of Jesus. Another study by Mission Frontiers magazine reported that of 600 Muslim converts, 25% experienced a dream that led them to their conversion. Amazing. Why would he do that? Hmm. This is what the, the study revealed. Shia Muslims, Shia Muslims are open to dreams being a revelation from God. They're open to that. I mean, they worship a, their own God, not us, but if they get a vision, they believe that is of God. So uh, they don't know, they're just going to bed and they get this vision of Jesus and immediately they think, this is of God, this is of God. What type of dreams did they experience, these Muslims? Some of them had Jesus speaking to them. He actually spoke scriptures that they never knew of. And of course, when they looked into it, they found it was the word of God that this was spoken to them. Jesus sometimes was telling them to do something. He appeared and they knew it was him and he told them to do something. Uh, often they spoke about dreams that led them to, to a feeling of being clean or at peace. And they knew this was related to Jesus, this sense of what they had. 
And often there was a man in white who physically just appeared to them. So God generally speaks to Christians through visions and dreams, but he can also speak to non-Christians if he chooses to. God is not restricted to just one method of speaking to us. Of course not. God is a God of variety, isn't he? Just look around at nature or the garden or animal kingdom or fruit kingdom anywhere, or even the church and all its denominations. I don't know if that's all God created, but anyway, there's enough <laughs> denominations to satisfy every one of us, okay? Uh, but God, God is a God of a variety in things, and so he has a great variety of speaking to us in, in all sorts of ways, in, in lots of different places. You could be looking at the television and God speaks from the television, reading a completely secular book or magazine and God speaks to you through there. You could be looking at something and God speaks to you from nature, from creation, from anything. God, and you know it's God because it's not just a notion in your head. Something happens in here, in your spirit, and it goes, oh, this is different from just me having an idea. In this study, we will confine, confine ourselves to the way God speaks directly through prophecy. This is what we're going to focus on. God loves to share his heart with us. He loves us. He's in relationship with us. In the same way, those that you love, you want to share your heart with them. You want to let them know what's going on in here. What's going on? Uh, even my wife sometimes, she says, what are you thinking about? No, don't tell me. Okay. Oh, and she says, I can hear the wheels grinding, you know. So there is something within her that wants to know, what am I thinking about? Of course, we want to know what God's thinking about. We want to know what's in his heart. What does he, when he looks at this nation, what does he think? When he looks at the church, what does he think when he's looking at the church? And he wants to share that with us because he's a loving father and he desires more than anything else a loving relationship. So he can't be holding himself back. He wants to come close and reveal his heart to us and reveal his mind to us. So true prophecy is to, to see into the heart of God and to know the mind of God. God gives prophecy for a whole variety of reasons. The first one, of which now this is obsolete, the first is that he wanted to give us the Bible. To give us the Bible, this is all prophecy, all of it. He spoke and men, it was all men. men and that's, that's not a, a, a sexist problem there. That's just a fact of what it is. Uh, there was a book that was written to a woman. Who was that? One of John's letters is written to a woman, isn't it? That one? Okay, but they were all written by men. Well, we know that the, the vast majority were because there's five books that we don't know who wrote them. Okay, of, of the, of the uh, well, we're not sure who wrote them, okay, but probably men, anyway. Um, so it was written over 1,500 years, and it had 40 different authors. 
I, I, say, I say we don't know because there's about five books. We don't know who orphaned them. We can, we can have a guess. And we might say, oh, this looks a bit like John, or this looks a bit like Paul's writing, or so forth. But, but we, don't, we don't know absolutely why. Inspired word of God then, given, moved upon by the Spirit, and they wrote the scriptures down. It says this in 2 Peter 1 and 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have to believe that every word that's in here, the original, was written by the Holy Spirit. We want to have translations of the Bible, not paraphrases. If your Bible is a paraphrase, that's not a good Bible to study from. It's all right to read it generally, but if you want to study, you want to go to scriptures that are built on Previous scriptures, previous scriptures that are all founded on the, on the word of God, as it were, not, not paraphrased, not made shorter or easier to understand. The Bible is complete. It's finished. Uh, the Mormons don't agree with this idea. They wrote a few more books. Uh, no, they shouldn't have been there. And the, uh, the Apocrypha... Maybe that shouldn't be there either, okay? But we won't fight over that one. Uh, but generally speaking, God's not going to work through men to write any more scripture. This is finished. This is the complete canon of scripture. We mustn't add anything to it or take anything away from it because the Holy Spirit has written it for us. And when people poo-hoo any parts of it or talk about all the all the, you know, they criticise it for this, that and the other. Just let that go over your head, okay? Because this, this has to be the word of God that he has wanted to convey to us truth. Our whole life is built on this and, and we don't want anyone to tamper with it, to tamper at all with it. The second uh, reason for, for prophecy is to... God wants to reveal his heart sometimes uh, to people, specifically to people. There are, as it were, different levels of prophecy. That doesn't mean that someone is, is more spiritual than anything else to, to minister in, a, in a, a different way. Because with everything, as we start, we start at a, at a low rung, and we, as we practice more prophecy, we become better and more familiar with it and more acquainted with it, and we can, we can speak a lot clearer the actual heart and mind of Christ. Scripture itself talks about the minor prophets, doesn't it, and the major prophets. And of all the prophets, only four of them were, were majors. They, there were five books that were, because uh, Jeremiah wrote two, but there's just four major and all the rest are what are called minor prophets. And, of course, when you see how much the major prophets wrote, uh, you know, someone like Isaiah wrote 66 chapters in his book, whereas uh, Jonah or someone or Amos or someone like that just wrote two or three. That's why they were considered minor as opposed to major. So it's also true in the church. There are different levels of prophecy and because we would all start probably at the lowest rung and we would seek to, to grow up so we become more proficient in the gift of prophecy.
Why would there be another reason for different levels? Possibly because um, people's spirituality varies quite a lot. Some people are just, they're just fully sold out, compassionate about the Lord. It's almost become, I don't want to use the word obsession because just because they love God more than somebody else, it doesn't mean they're obsessed. They just love God passionately and they see the whole of their life must be to pursue this God. Others uh, have a slightly cooler approach to the whole thing, but they both can prophesy. Although the one who's more intent perhaps would, would get something deeper. He would push on through into prophecy. You could have a simple prophecy where someone in the church says something like this, uh, my children, I'm with you. So you gather together and, and we'll, we'll do this as we practice prophecy. You just wait on the Lord and God will give you something. You go, will he? Yeah, absolutely sure. Absolutely certain he'll give you something. Okay, so you get something and you just speak out what it is that God has said. And it might be something quite simple. Well, if you've never done it before, that's a brilliant thing that you've said and done. It is prophetic to say that thing. You said, no, I, was, I had nothing in my head and all of a sudden, this thought just came to me, and it came really strongly, and so I spoke it out. And you can be sure, for some people, to know that God is with them is very reassuring, very comforting. It's encouraging them. It's all the things that prophecy should be. But there's other stronger prophecy, that if we develop the gift within us, it's a lot deeper it has the potential to change people's lives. It could bring solutions to a church's problems. What is the real condition of the church? We might be fussing with the fact, why are we stuck? We need a word from the Lord. God needs to speak through a prophet or someone prophesying. God would tell us what we're to do about the situation. And God would also say, this is what I'm doing to help you to do it. I don't know if you think the gift has been neglected. If you think, when did I last hear something prophetic? When did I last hear God speak clearly about our fellowship or what we should do or what God should do? You see, because we ignore the gift to a great extent, we never develop in it. The churches don't develop in the gift, so the gift is, is almost not enjoyed, not practiced. To show God, the third reason, is to show God's people something which will happen in the future. Under the Old Testament, the prophets always said, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. We don't get so much of that. God is simply encouraging us and trying to build us up and strengthen us and restore things. But sometimes God can give a word of warning. Um, you might have read these sort of testimonies where missionaries have been in a real you know, dangerous position and maybe a word of the Lord has come through somebody. You're to go. You're not to stay here tonight. You're to leave and go somewhere else. And so you just go not knowing anything about it 
only to discover that later the night the secret police came to, you know, to bundle you off somewhere. And so the, the prophetic can come like that as a word of warning, as a word of encouragement. Don't go there today. Do this. Meet that person. The prophetic word can come to you in that way. Also, the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy, isn't it? A warning of the end times, what's going to happen. I know we struggle to, you know, work out all what it means and everything, but it's, it's a prophetic book. It's telling us of the future, and it's declaring the, the current word of God at that time about the situation of the church. The fourth thing it does is, is give guidance to, uh, to individuals or to churches in their lives. Uh, prophecy gives particular instructions at special needs, at special times. Some people who want nothing to do with prophecy, they simply say, I have the word of God. And so they, no, I wouldn't say the word frantically, sometimes frantically, frantically look in the scriptures for God to speak to them because they haven't learnt about prophecy or they don't accept the gifts of the Spirit in operation. So they want the word of the Lord to tell them everything. They want to find a verse that directs them. I believe that the word of God is, is the general direction for our life. But when we want the specific or the particular, God then would give us a prophetic word. So the Bible is the strategy and prophecy are the tactics to carry out the strategic plan of God. So God's patterns throughout Scripture, they're clear in many cases. But then he might have a specific word that we need to hear what that specific word is. In the Old Testament, God generally spoke of you know, his general assurance to bring victory and triumph in their life if they were listening to him and following what he was saying. But it took, it took the prophet to say where and when they were to do things and where, how they were to carry out this general idea that God would bless them. They would say, let us inquire of the prophet what it is we're supposed to do. We want to know the, not so much... We want to know the tactics, what God is, is calling us to do. The Bible tells us how to live, but not where. Why do you live here? Did God send you here? Did you receive a prophetic word to be where you're living? It's very reassuring if you have. Be careful you don't end up here and then say, I need to look for the prophetic now to make sure. We really need to have the prophetic before we actually do it, so it moves us in the direction. Um, the Bible tells us how to be married, but not who we should marry. Now, you might seek the prophetic on who to marry. You don't have to, okay. Uh, but it's wise to have a little conversation with God, whether you should marry this person or not marry this person. The general rules are there, aren't they? But then we need something more than this, the general. You know, uh, we need something specific. The Bible tells us we should work, but it doesn't always tell us what we should do, what our job should be. So sometimes we've got to seek the word of the Lord to come to us in a prophetic way that we'll know the very mind of God. It says in Scripture, 
the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit as well as those who live by the Word. So we live by the Word, but we're led by the Spirit. We should, we should put strong emphasis on both. You need to know the Word of God and the general principles but at the same time be charismatic enough to rely upon the Spirit and his leading and his direction in your life. I've said already that prophecy includes visions and dreams. Also in Scripture we read about angelic messengers. It seems that there were lots of angels in the Old Testament, not so many angels in the New Testament. There are some but you see, it's not that they've been made obsolete, but now we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us. God doesn't need always to send angels to tell us what God is saying to us because the Spirit within gets, gets it directly from the Lord. Although angels do appear, they still appear today, they appeared in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, but probably there are less manifestations of them. I don't doubt for one minute they're very busy, uh, the whole Godhead is busy. The whole angelic hosts are busy all the time because we're such a naughty bunch. I mean, we keep him busy all the time working on us. There is a difference, as I said, between visions and dreams. Uh, a vision is while we're awake, God shows us something. While we're conscious, we just, we, it's as though we see it and we don't see it or we could really see an image in front of us and uh, a dream is when we're asleep or unconscious and the word comes. Uh, I have to preach quite often in different places and I never think, oh, well, what shall I preach? I'll, I'll dig out this one or I'll dig out this one or dig out that one. I don't do any digging uh, because, and I, I don't know why I keep them all. I mean, I keep my sermons and I think, what for? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back there and do it again. Sometimes I do, very rarely, but sometimes I do. So I think, Lord, what do you want me to speak on? What do you want? And sometimes he just gives me a, a picture, a vision, and I'm awake quite often. And so I was just doing this this week, thinking, Lord, I've got to preach somewhere next week. Lord, what, what do you want me to speak about? And because I just generally, and I don't expect an answer, I, not like that. God will do it when he's ready to do it. But I want him to know that I, I'm dependent upon him uh, to, to, to give me something. Because I know if he just gives me the word, then I'll move on. I think I shared with you the other week, I did this similar thing. And he showed me God with his arms crossed. Remember that? And I knew that God never had his arms crossed. And so a whole sermon comes out of one vision, one picture of God with his arms crossed. So just the other day I was doing the same sort of thing. And I saw in my mind's eye. So I was fully awake. And I saw Christ just central. And the thought came to me, never Take your eyes off Christ. It just came like that. And because and when it just comes out of nowhere, like left field, you go, whoa, this, is, this feels good in my spirit, okay? 
And then I heard my, my, my phone thing, mobile, it pinged. That means someone sent me a message, didn't it, when it pinged. So uh, I'm really ignorant when it comes to mobile things. So anyway, I flick it open, I put it there, I press the button, and there's uh, a church that I minister at. This, this lady, she's put a verse of scripture up. Just let me read the verse of scripture to you that she just put up that second, it pinged that second I had the vision. It's in Psalm 16 and verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. I mean, I'm falling off the chair now, aren't I? I mean, I'm dancing around the house. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Because he is at my right hand, I shall never be shaken. Isn't that wonderful? You see, when God speaks, you can fly. Honestly, it's just like there is no limit. You just like, you, you don't have any more problems that day. And so just the word of the Lord is so encouraging, so building up, so edifying. It's just a fantastic thing. In some cases, people get one of these pictures, and from the picture, a whole vision starts to come as they receive it by faith. Often in a meeting, um, I, would, I would get just a picture, just something. And I would go, here we go, I'm just going to start here. And I would start, or I would, or I would just move on the picture for a minute. And as I'm thinking about the picture, it starts to expand and roll out in front of me, almost like a film. And so I would start to speak, and the rest would just follow and follow and follow and follow. And then when the film ends, you stop. Always wise to stop when God stops, because your bit is not interested at all, okay? It's just what God says, so limit yourself to what God says. So we're going to have a little break now, then after the break we'll, uh, we'll do some exercises on this one. Okay, thank you very much. I'm presuming that um, many of you have had some experience of the prophetic. Uh, the fact that you're even here... For some of you, it's because the subject excites you or you want to know a bit more about it. And you've, you've probably made some steps in this direction. So excuse me if I treat you as though you don't know anything and then I pick up everyone and we'll move the whole thing on. I want to do a, a natural exercise with you. It's just a bit of fun. This isn't anything prophetic or spiritual. It's just the idea of using one's imagination. Now, I say this because I've discovered that uh, some people don't seem to have any imagination at all, which is, is very unfortunate if, if it comes to the prophetic because it's useful if we've got an imagination. So this is the exercise I'm going to put you through. Um, in a minute or so, I'll just ask you to close your eyes and I will uh, mention something, an object, and I just want you then to start to focus in your mind upon the word that I've said and, and I think an image will come to you. It's your imagination. An image will come to you. This is nothing spiritual or prophetic. You're getting me now. I'm not because some people said, oh, I'm not doing this, okay. And there's nothing weird about it. Um, and, and then when you've got this object, I want you to see it as a film in your head and I want you to let the film roll on. So I'll mention something. You'll see it. 
and then I'll say, now let the film roll on, and I'll let it roll on for a few minutes, and you just follow the film in your head, and then we'll stop and see what you got. You with me on this? You gonna give it a go? It's not too painful, is it? Okay. Okay, just close your eyes then. The object that I want you to think about is a dog. A dog. So let your imagination focus on this dog. Okay. Now let the film roll on with the dog as the central character of the film. Just let it roll on and tell me. We'll stop after a little while and you can explain to me. Okay, we'll stop there. So what I'll do now, if you just open your eyes, I'll ask different ones um, what they saw and then how the film rolled on. I might repeat it for the sake of uh, those that won't pick up what you're saying. Okay, uh, let's go to Anne first. What, can you tell me what your dog was like? What sort of dog was it? Okay. Is it a dog that you knew or had in the past? Mm, I thought I'd start with Anne because I knew she's a doggy person. Okay. <laughs> right. Now, so you know the colour and the shape and yes. the size and the picture. Yes. What happened when the film rolled on? Um, well, the dog was in a field and there was lots of grass in this big field. And I realised that I was in the field with the dog. Okay. Anything else happened or...? Go on. Um, it was barking, and what it was barking was when I looked down, there was a ball at my feet, and I picked up the ball and threw the ball, and he went to get it, and he brought it back to me. Wow. What an exhausting imagination. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's Kate, is it? Katie. Katie, what did you see? A Great Dane. A Great Dane. Not a little terrier. A Great Dane. Okay. <laughs> A park as opposed to a field? Yeah, and I was throwing twigs and weeds around and other people were coming by and she was running to them and throwing some litter and she ended up throwing me something. Great, okay, good. Edward? Well, mine was like, um, it was like Anne's. It was, a, it, was a, it was a terrier type dog and not, not one that I know. And, uh, and it was running up, up a wide pathway and suddenly there were loads of other dogs with it. And then weirdly, ahead of that, there were a load of huntsmen. And, uh, <laughs> and that was it. They were going off into the distance. The dogs okay. are usually meant to be ahead of that. Okay, okay, okay. All right. We won't pursue this one any further. No, okay. 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 I'll just do one more. Lizzie, uh, what did you get? Can, can you pull it down a minute? Yeah, Otherwise. I to concentrate. I didn't want my own dog. So I suddenly had an Alsatian, but it was like really enthusiastic. And there was a bit of fear in his face. 
and it was really lovely. It was a really nice dog because there was a little kid and the ball had rolled over and the, the dog pushed it back to the little kid. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, I, I'll, I'll stop there. I'll... Okay, okay. <laughs> we love Alsatians. Right, good stuff. I'll ask other people other things as we progress on through this. So, there we are. It's, that's, we've all got imaginations, and imaginations can work. So, you can see how the Holy Spirit works within us, simply by a picture, an image, and all of a sudden, it becomes a screen in front of us, and we can see it. And, and prophecy, for many, is simply that. It's a screen... And, and as they just focus on God or they ask, because it says you should earnestly desire, Lord, give me a prophecy, give me a prophecy. And then as, as something comes, and I told you a dog, so that's where you went, because God will give you something else. And so you latch on to this and, and the vision starts to unfold itself. And as you start to speak it out, because it could go on and on. Your dog could have done all amazing things and, and all of each of your dogs could have gone on and on and on doing stuff. So that's how it works. Now, none of that was spiritual. None of that was to do with the Holy Spirit. It was just a, a normal natural exercise. But I want you to see that prophecy is normal. It's not something weird. It's something where God uses imagination. He uses our minds. He, he sets something in motion within us, and we flow along with that. God uses these methods of visions and dreams to communicate uh, his word to other people. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy, isn't, it could be just for you, but generally it's for somebody else or for a group of people. Generally, it's for the body of Christ. It's for, it's for the, you know, the complete number of people there. It says in Numbers 12 and 6, it says, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, and I speak to him in dreams. It also says that in these last days, if these are the last days, and we have to be careful because charismatic people, spiritual people, always think it's the last days. They just do. So be on your guard, okay? In a sense, the last days have been the last 2,000 years. But what the prophet is saying, in the, in the very end, there will be more and more prophecies. I think that's what he's saying. That's how I interpret this. It's Acts 2 and 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Well, this is what he did on Pentecost, wasn't it? He poured his spirit out. He poured it on everybody. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So he's saying the young and old, men and women, when the spirit of God comes upon us, we will all be able to prophesy. All of us. So there isn't an excuse and I say, well, God hasn't given me this gift. We've already said he doesn't give you the gift of prophesying. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And then through you, the Holy Spirit, he chooses to speak and give prophetic words. As we draw closer to the last days, am I going to be bold enough to say I believe these are the last days? Oh, I don't want to fall into that trap of doing that. But if I did... I would expect more prophecies to come. 
more and more as the day of the Lord approaches. I think I'm at liberty to say that. Biblical examples then of, of visions from the Lord, because we need to ground everything in Scripture. We know that Ezekiel had a vision from the Lord. It's found in uh, Ezekiel 8 and 24. Ezekiel saw that they were lifting up idolatry in the temple at Jerusalem, and God took him. It's quite savage. I'll read to you his, the vision that he saw. It's in Ezekiel 8, 2 to 4. We're going to read from verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month of the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down was like fire. And from there up he appeared, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. What an awesome picture of God. I mean, just fire and then glowing metal for the top half. He stretched out what looked like a hand and he took me by the hair of my head. Savage, isn't it? He grips him. I mean, probably had some hair to grip. This, this, this God, this, I mean, fire of God, he grabs him by the hair. He said, the spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and in my visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Powerful vision. I mean, these Old Testament prophets, and Ezekiel was a major prophet, so it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel were the four major prophets. They got the big stuff from God, remember? The other minor ones just got little things that related to their own nation, but they were all great prophets in that way. God was exposing the sin that was in the temple at Jerusalem. See, if there's sin in our church, God needs to expose it. He needs to because we're laboring away and nothing is happening because of sin that's in the church. And therefore God sometimes, through the prophets, just wants to expose it, not to condemn or anything, but that we might clear it out that all the faithful ones that gather, they're not sort of punching into the air or, or running aimlessly, as Paul puts it, but everything is directive and there's, there's purpose and the enemy hasn't come in to the camp to sow seeds of you know, wicked stuff within the church. Uh, Daniel, um, he had visions, didn't he, and his friends uh, constantly. And of course, it so impressed the king, Nebuchadnezzar, they were raised to important positions. So the king definitely put a lot of weight on these, these uh, visions that, that these guys had. Nebuchadnezzar himself, although he was an evil king, he was given visions from the Lord about his own uh, nation and what would happen in the future. Remember, and he took it to, uh, to, to Daniel, and Daniel explained all what the vision had meant. When you get a vision from the Lord, you need to uh, work out what it means. Certain things within the dream represent, or in the vision, they represent um, particular things, and it's usually taken from Scripture. So if you were 
Um, I'm going to steal someone's suggestion that they mention something to me in the brain. Anyway, but no names. Uh, if you were standing on the seashore and a great wave came uh, with a boat in it and, and it, it just rushed all over, you know, and you, you would have to say, what is that all about? Was I in the dream or was I looking at the dream? If you were in the dream, it's usually about you. If you were looking at it, it's usually you observing something that was going to happen. What does the boat represent? What do the waves represent? What does the sea represent? All that you saw, what does it represent? What is God talking about? And an important thing is, what did you feel? What did you feel in the dream? Were you, like, excited or were you apprehensive? What was it? Because all of these things are the way that the Holy Spirit communicates with us. And it's, it's important that if you get a vision or a dream, if it's so short there wouldn't be a need to, to write it down. But if you get one, and it's, it's fairly extensive, write it down and write down everything that you can possibly imagine because visions and dreams evaporate. And it's funny, you can wake with a dream and you remember everything and you go, I'm going to get my breakfast. After breakfast, I'll write it down. And when you get to breakfast time... It's gone. You've lost the heart. You're thinking, I can't believe I've lost it. it. See, it's spiritual. It's sort of evaporated away. So people who are sort of a little bit used to this, they do go to bed with a notebook and pencil, uh, and they, they, they jot the stuff down when it comes. See, the more we practice this, the better we become at it. Um, anyway. And in the New Testament, we know that Paul had a vision, didn't he, of, of entering into heaven. I love the modest way that he really puts it. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4. This is what Paul says. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, he hadn't told anyone about this vision he had. I believe it was him, because he talks about, I knew a man, but I think it was him. And most most people think it was him. He hadn't told anyone for 14 years about this. He held it to himself, you see. He wasn't going to boast about what he had done and what he had seen and, and all of these things. He was modest uh, in the way that he was. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Where it was, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. What an impact that must have had. It was so powerful, he felt he couldn't share it with anyone. It was so, and of course he didn't want to share it because people might have listen to him because he had these experiences. So he wouldn't allow that to happen. And he's saying, it's not because of me, it's because of Christ. And Christ did this through me. Some examples then of dreams. We know in Genesis, the whole 41st chapter, we get the, the episode with Pharaoh, remember, having all the dreams and then he calls Joseph in to help him interpret the dreams. And he says, I know you're a man who can interpret dreams. And he says, no, I can't. 
Only God can interpret dreams. God wrote the dream, so God will tell me what it is, because I can't tell you. If you go to someone and you explain your dream to them and say, can you tell me what this means? They can't. They can make suggestions of what the dream might be, but it's only you, as, as they make the suggestion, in your spirit you would go, that sounds right, or no, I don't think it was that. Okay, as they make the suggestions, so the dreams take on, uh, uh, or the understanding of it becomes more real to you. And of course, we know that through Joseph, he saved the whole of Israel and Egypt as the interpreter of dreams. And Daniel did a similar thing, didn't he, when it came to Nebuchadnezzar. Like Joseph helped Pharaoh, Daniel helped Nebuchadnezzar. Both uh, not Israel people, but, you know, God, not God-fearing people. In Joel um, 2 and 28, it's clear there that God didn't stop giving dreams when he stopped with the Old Testament or even with scriptures. It says in Joel uh, 2 and 28, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. We've looked at this before. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. So this was repeated uh, in the book of Acts, this very quotation from Joel. And my last example here about dreams is that of Joseph. So Joseph is a New Testament example of dreams. He's in a very unique and special position as the, uh, the husband of, of Mary, and he has to take care of Christ. But of course, he doesn't only get a dream, but he gets angels that appear in the dream and talk to him as well. And he didn't get one of them. He got three or four of them, didn't he, all along as they went along. I know it's a special occasion, but often there are still special occasions that we need to hear from the Lord. <laughs> Angelic messengers. Okay. Uh, angels could appear to us and speak to us. Anyone in the room had an angelic appearance? Yes? Okay. Yes? Okay, and you knew it was an angel? Fantastic, okay, need to say no more. Okay, we have them. They still happen today, just in this small number, we, we can say there's a couple of angelic appearances. They don't have power uh, or inspiration of themselves. They're simply messengers of God. They, they don't know what to say. God tells them what to say. They don't think up what they're going to do. God tells them what to do. Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? It is then, I'm going to suggest to you, it's the Holy Spirit uh, that gives the angels the power to do the will of God. And it is also the Holy Spirit who tells the angels what to say. Because the, the Holy Spirit is the doer of the Godhead. God, God says something, or he thinks it, we can put it in those terms. Jesus says it, but it is the Holy Spirit that gets the work done. So if an angel appeared to you, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit sent the angel and told the angel what to say. And he does the very same thing with us. Instead of angels, he uses us. He speaks to us and sends us to say what we need to say and minister in that situation. Prophecy needs to be earnestly sought. 
I said this at the beginning, if you don't want to, you won't. That's the end of it. God never forces things on us. Well, very seldom forces things on us because um, the Apostle Paul's conversion was pretty much a forced job, wasn't it? I mean, he wasn't going to let that. And Moses, that was a forced job as well. He didn't have another Moses in the, in the backgrounds. He didn't have another Apostle Paul. So he says, like, I haven't brought you all this far for just for you to say no. So I'm going to bring... Uh, I believe they could have said no, but there was such great pressure on them from the Almighty they weren't going to fudge it, really. Prophecy, in all its forms, is a gift from God, whether it's a dream or a vision or a word or an impression or whatever. It's a gift from God. It's, it's not a reward for those who pray a lot. It's not really a reward for those that live holy lives. You see, it wouldn't be by grace if it was. If you could earn this stuff by being good or working hard, it would be a wage. And God doesn't pay wages. Okay, He graces us. And so if you earnestly desire it, even though your life is not perfect, if you earnestly desire it, then God will meet you where you are because he has to uphold the word that he said. And if you reach out in faith, then things will operate. We got that verse, haven't we, in Matthew, where it's a very challenging verse where they come at the end and they said, we did all this in your name. We did miracles. We raised people from the dead. It says, we did many, many miracles. And what does he say? It says, depart from me, because I never knew you. So it appears that if we come to God on the terms of the covenant, we can operate in the supernatural, but have no relationship with him whatsoever. That's scary, isn't it? Because we like to think that if anyone's doing anything for God, they're in a close relationship with God. We would, we would be mistaken to think that. And history, especially church history, has proved that to be the case. Some powerful men and women of God, their lives did not live up to the manifestations that they were creating. So this gift of prophecy cannot be earned. And uh, it's just... Uh, God decides through the Spirit who he's going to give it to. It's through his love and his grace. He responds to those who earnestly seek him and humble themselves in his presence. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He expects us to walk in love. But then in Corinthians, he says, if you'd prophesied or, or did knew all, could fathom all mysteries, he says something like that, but you did not have love, it says you gain nothing from it. Now, that's interesting. Not that the prophecy wasn't true, and not that you didn't fathom a mystery, but you gain nothing from it. The person you gave it to, they gain something from it, but you never, you were just clanging. You were, so we walk in humility and love and function in the gifts, but if there's no love, we get nothing from it. If there is love, then we get as much as the person who received the gift. It's not an achievement. It doesn't give us a higher position in the church. No one 
can take credit when God uses them to prophesy. You're just a mouthpiece. You're just, you're just this. That's all you are. You're just this. You're nothing, nothing special. You're just this. He's got to use someone's mouth. You can't put it down to your years of Bible study or, you know, Christian service and you deserve this. It can never be a function of wages. It can't be. It's got to be by grace and through faith. The fact that someone prophesies doesn't make them superior to anybody else. It simply means that God has responded to their earnestness. They've earnestly sought to do it, and so they've done it. See, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be earnest in your seeking. If you wonder why you've never prophesied or why you don't prophesy much, is it simply because you don't seek it earnestly enough? Or is it because of other restrictions placed upon you? The ability to prophesy is not a permanent ability. Just because you do it or you've done it, that's not your gift. You don't have a gift of prophecy. You have a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you can function in all the nine gifts. Why limit yourself to one? And the gift is not yours anyway. The, the prophetic message is the gift to who you give it to. You are simply the channel for the gift to flow. Isn't that the same with healing? You say, I have a gift of healing. No, no, you're just the healer. The person who was sick got the gift. Yes, it makes sense, doesn't it? I don't want a gift of healing if I'm not sick, but if you are, I need to get the gift to you. I need to be the channel, bitch. And so we make ourselves channels of blessing to the body of Christ. Whether it's a word of faith, whether it's healing, whatever it is, we function in this way. It is a gift given when the Holy Spirit decides to do it. However, seldom if you decide to do it, will the Holy Spirit not use you. I can say of certainty, if I've been in a meeting, and I don't do this in every meeting, but I say, Lord, I want to prophesy in this meeting, I can always do it. And you say, well, that wasn't at the, at the, the inspiration of the Spirit. No, he was just looking for willing people. So if we were in this meeting tonight, and this was a meeting in that sense, anyone could say, Lord, I want to minister your, by your spirit to the people. I make myself available, and as you focus on the Lord, something comes. And then this one does it, and that one does it, and that one does it. And in the book of Corinth, remember the church in Corinth, he says, now, we've got umpteen prophecies going on and we've got messages in tongues that we can't cope with and we've got interpretations and the whole meeting's in chaos. We can't just have meetings with manifestations of the gifts. So we'll just have two or three at the most or three or four at the most. I'm not sure what he says. So he limits the numbers of prophecies in the meeting. He limits the numbers of tongues and interpretation in the meeting. I've never heard that passage preached in context. I've never heard a preacher get up and say, now listen folks, we've got too many manifestations here. We've got far too much prophecy, far too much tongue and interpretation. If this goes on, it's just it's chaos. So three or four and then stop. Okay, three or four and then stop. Never, 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 
never in all my Christian life have I ever heard a preacher ever say that. And that's the context of which Paul says it. We've got too much of it. See, the, the church at Corinth, they were so passionate about the things of the Spirit. You couldn't, you couldn't stop them. They were moving in the gifts. They were healing. They were doing also. And also, the church at Corinth, their character never lived, lived up to their giftings, did it? Do you remember? They were, a, they were a rum lot, really, but they were flowing in the gifts but their character need to grow up. So we can really exercise the gifts with a low development of character. It's possible we can do that. True prophecy today. Oh, look at that time. It's beat me again. Oh, okay, quickly now. Um, the gift of prophecy has always been in the church Always, it's never not been in the church. Sometimes it's more evident than other times. In the early church, it was there all the time. Uh, we read through the book of Acts, and it, it was flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. As the church has declined spiritually, so the gifts of the Holy Spirit decline, because it's to do with people's spirituality, where they are. So, so also another thing that's caused the gifts at, at different times to decline is those that, who run the church control the church. And so uh, to have the gifts of the Spirit exercised, the leaders have to let go of the control to some extent and say, off you go then, uh, I'll, I'll open this up to, to the Spirit. And they've really got to sit down and shut up and let the Spirit do what the Spirit's going to do, because that's hard if you want to, you know, make it all work the way. Because you've got your program, and you've got to get through your program, and you've got the speaker, and you've got to do this, and you've got your announcements, and you've got that, and we've got to be out by 11.15, and, and but, 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 the Holy Spirit says, see ya. You carry on with what you're doing, um, and I'll be back when your attitude is... Come Holy Spirit. Isn't it funny we say that, come Holy Spirit, and, he, and then we tell him what to do. Come Holy Spirit, sit down, I'm in charge. He goes, I know that's not how it functions. If I come, you've got to give me the liberty to do what I want to do. And this might not happen this week, and we might have a bit more of this, and we might have none of that. And don't worry about 11.15, because you're still going to be here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, because I've got some work to do. No, you don't stay at 3 o'clock for no reason. If nothing is happening, I go at 11.45, you know, I mean, I'll be out the door. But if we invite the Spirit, and we sing these songs, don't we? Come, Holy Spirit, and do your thing. And yet we, we don't let him do his thing. It's important that church leaders encourage the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If the church is charismatic, if it's not charismatic, it's fine. If it's evangelical, I wouldn't expect them to encourage the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If they say we're a charismatic church, they should, one, encourage the gifts, and two, they must teach the people uh, about how it works. People don't know, and people have to be given permission because we're all fairly obedient, submissive people, as Christians are. We, we honour our leaders and we respect them and we sit quietly. And they are, they are there to say, right, we can do this or we can do that. If not, we'll just hold our... We, we won't do it. They need to teach the congregations how to use the gifts and then they need to create the space for it to happen. 
and the space mean it might get it might get very large or it might stay small, but we allow the Holy Spirit to be the the governor or the prefect of the meeting. Often the gifts of the Holy Spirit declines because people don't read their Bibles and pray sufficiently. That's it. It just declines. And so we know uh, some churches devote a lot of time to reading the scriptures. There's a church that I'm connected to now. Uh, the pastor there has three people with readings every week and they usually get through a whole chapter. And he's put this into his program because he wants to exalt the reading of the word of God. And so, uh, but we can be in the charismatic church, we can be very dangerous sometimes. We don't even bother opening this up. It just stays there, okay. Now, I write all my verses down here so I don't have to fiddle through there all the time, but I hope I'm giving you sufficient verses of Scripture. I understand some subjects take more verses of Scripture than others, but that Bible needs to be the thing that we're teaching and encouraging people to read all the time. A decline in, in prayer, a decline in, in Bible reading will lead to a decline in the gifts of the Spirit. Recently, after probably the Pentecostal revival in 1904, there was a great upsurge uh, in all of the gifts of the Spirit. So in the 1970s, 80s, there was the charismatic renewal where everyone uh, got really excited about the things of the Spirit. Of course, it caused a lot of division in the denominational churches, and that led to the house church movement where people were thrown out of churches or felt so uncomfortably in church they left, and they ended up having meetings in, in homes. That's all they could do. And of course, eventually they got into schools and eventually they solidified. And the passion that was there was somewhat lost again. It, it, it was a big circle that's, that's gone on. In the 90s, we had the Toronto Blessing. And of course, there was a great upheaval uh, in the church in our country as a result of that. We found in the 1960s and 1970s that a lot of people left the main line churches and ended up in uh, smaller, independent, charismatic churches, I suppose it was. And many uh, independent churches grew up in the 80s and 90s uh, as a result of usually the, this desire to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, to have a sense of freedom and liberty within the church. So from the 1960s onwards, there's been quite a um, a Pentecostal message that has come into many of our churches. It's also come into lots of Baptist churches where the door has been opened, into Anglican churches where the door has been opened. Sometimes the door isn't open much, just a little bit, but really the more we open the door, the more the Holy Spirit will come in. This then has led to more manifestations of the gifts. As this present age draws to a close, if it is drawing to a close, we will see Satan rising up more with a strategy to come against uh, the Son of God and his church. When you know that your time is short, you might fight harder. And so Satan might just get a bit stirred up because he knows and senses things that we don't about the movement of the Spirit of God. He seems to be very 
in touch with what's going on. But God is not surprised by what Satan might do. And so he will respond to this. Um, He will raise up prophets, I think, to deal with the deception that Satan would bring into the church. True prophecy will have its part to play then in this whole business. He did a similar thing in Bible times when the people went so far away from God, the prophets would come. They would speak to get them back on track, to get them moving with God. There's true true prophecy in the church and there's false prophecy in the church. And we have to be careful. We're told about false prophets in the Old Testament and we're told about false prophets in the New Testament. Matthew 24, 11 says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And in 2 Peter 2, 1, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. God doesn't say because there are false prophets, we shouldn't prophesy. We must prophesy more. We must seek to prophesy and we must speak out and prophesy. We need to be true prophets then if there are false prophets in the church. Truth is our defense against error always. There are some prophecies are harmful because if the devil prophesies into a situation, that could be disastrous for a fellowship, for a church, for an individual. Also, ordinary people, well-meaning people, prophesy out of their imagination. So no dogs on Sunday, okay? No dogs, okay. Uh, We don't want your imagination. We want the word of God coming to you. Prophecy then could be harmful, but so could preaching be harmful. But we don't stop preaching. So if we don't stop preaching, we won't stop prophecy either, although it could be harmful. We know that the fear of prophecy will grieve the Spirit of God. Scripture is the final authority over every matter. It's what the Scriptures say that count. But direct revelation, either verbal or visual, is part of the revelation of God to his people. The Bible contains everything we need to get saved. We don't need prophecy to get saved. The Word of God is clear about that. But it does not exhaust what God has to say. Let me just explain this. It says in John 16, 12 and 13, he says, I have much to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. So he's saying, you have the scriptures, but the Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. We can't add to God's word. We can't take away from God's word. That would be terrible error. But we can amplify sometimes what the word of God says. And that's what the spirit of prophecy does. It amplifies what it says. Just this last word about church leaders We need to be understanding of church leaders. Um, It's only if you've been one do you understand the problem that's involved. If you open the thing up, um, I have to 
be careful what I say here. If you open the thing up, you sometimes get people that they just take advantage of that situation. They love perhaps the sound of their own voice and they're not prophesying the word of the Lord. They're prophesying out of their own imaginations and they never do it quite so you could go and deal with it. They just keep within the boundary, but, it, but it's a problem for the leadership. I mean, they just want to open it up and have sensible, sound, biblical people prophesying, but that's often not the case. So they're afraid of that. They're afraid of losing the control to people who they would feel uncomfortable grabbing hold of the reins to control the meeting and things. So I understand that here. Um, people might misuse the gift like they can, and, and there's, there's not that sensitivity. Or the enemy might ride on the back of somebody to, to cause trouble like that in the church. Maybe they're afraid of heresy coming in through false prophecy. That's a healthy fear for leaders. They have a, a very difficult job. And we need to be sensitive to the job they're trying to do, always encouraging them to maybe open things a little bit more, a little bit more. But if they suppress the, the operation of the Spirit, that's not a good thing. Okay, so they walk on this very delicate line of not suppressing the Spirit, but at the same time not opening things up so it all goes very weird. Uh, on you. And of course, the bigger the meeting, uh, the more weird it can get, because you don't know who's there, and you don't know what they're going to say, and then you've got to do, you've got to put lots of fires out afterwards, and uh, it, it's very difficult. But So pray for your leaders. If you desire to see a forward movement in the gifts of the Spirit, pray for your leaders that they might steer the church through it wisely, so we can open the gifts of the Spirit more. Because we know the Spirit is grieved when he's not at liberty to encourage or to build up the body of Christ. That's what he wants to do. He wants to speak through us so the, the church becomes strengthened and stronger. And if, and if he's not allowed to, he's grieved. And that might be because of the people who take advantage of the situation, not necessarily the leadership. They're just trying to walk a very difficult line with the whole thing. So that gives us our introduction, the, the gift of prophecy. So I hope uh, it might have cleared up some things, it might have reinforced some ideas for you, it might have got you to think again in a new way, and next week, and uh, then we have a break after the second week, come back for three and four, and we'll cover the whole thing, and uh, you'll have lots of opportunity to prophesy as we gather together. Thank you all. God bless you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Please share with your friends and family so they can also benefit from the ministry we offer. Arise Ministry, a living legacy. Mm-hmm.